Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello, this is another Christmas Eve poetry folder special. I have here two poems by Morris Manning. I went through a huge Morris Manning phase about a year and a half ago. Totally obsessed, read everything I could get my hands on by him. This is from a book I don't own. I copied it from a library book. The book is called A Companion for Owls. And it is an imaginative reflection based on the life of Daniel Boone. This is something Morris Manning does that I really, really like. He is interested in history. This is similar to Linda Beards, who I have a poem here I'm going to read soon, but another episode, where they write about a historical figure and put, apply the depth of their imagination and their art to imagining another person's experience. So there's little snippets based on truth and then there's imagination filling in all the cracks and I just really love that. Now Daniel Boone was a settler in Kentucky where Morris Manning is from. At that point, that was the Wild West. (laughs) And so um, I like the fact too that Manning is writing about his own local history, a famous historical character from his area where he has lived and grown and worked for so long. He wrote a book, actually, one of his more recent books is doing a similar thing with Abraham Lincoln. You're as much of an Abraham Lincoln um, connoisseur as I am, you might want to. Perhaps I'll bring something to you from that in the future. For now, let's get into our Daniel Boone mindset. The first one is from his perspective, Daniel Boone's perspective. I'll just read it before I start yakking. It's called Born Again. This is all one stanza with kind of short lines. You picture that? Takes up maybe three quarters of a page. Born Again by Morris Manning. The darkest place I've ever been did not require a name. It seemed to be a gathering place for the lint of the world. The bottom of a hollow beneath two ridges sunk like a stone. The water was surely old, the dregs of some ancient sea, but purified by time, like a man made better by his years his old hurts absorbed into his soul, his losses like a spring in his breast. That deep baptismal trough, my head immersed in a blacksmith's forge, my eyes reflecting firefly flicker. O nameless beauty below the stars, O figure of man descending, I saw myself, an object of decay, no speech, 
no sleep, a speck, a weightless scene stuck in the eye of ancient order. Mind you, not a vision of the netherworld or even death. I was like a seed, a vision of a man who had fallen into a second womb. The cliffs above me, stretching like taut thighs of a woman giving birth. Oh my goodness. I keep thinking I'm bringing these simple little poems and then I read them out loud and realize I'm getting myself into something deep here. This is serious. This is a, this is an epiphany poem. This is a, a resurrection conversion poem. This is a poem about being born again. Okay. My mind is whirling here. What do I love? What do I love? What do you think? What did this remind you of? Did this connect itself to something else you already knew or have heard or read or were thinking about? First of all, in my mind, I have a very strong picture of this, like a deep V, a hollow, a holler between two steep slopes. And there, if you're in the West, there isn't anything around here that is quite like the way the Appalachian Mountains come up out of the earth. It was about two years ago I was able to drive from North Carolina to West Virginia, where I was born, and it was breathtaking. The steep and unbelievably high um, angles of the mountains, they were like, a, like tsunamis rising up on either side. I think part of the effect was that the roads are cut right through the middle, even lots of tunnels going beneath the mountains. It seems like in the West, we kind of built roads more around, more like curves that slowly make their way higher and higher up through the mountains. In that area, it felt like it was just cutting straight through the bottom and the feeling of having those mountains thrusting up on either side so steep and so high they blocked out the sky. It was wild. It was hard to drive. Hard to drive and take that all in at the same time. And this poem talks a lot about that, the, the bottom, being at the bottom, at the rock bottom where the water's old and where you feel buried and dark. But guess what? For some reason, the human soul is made to learn and change and often grow through being in that womb-like, deprived situation. Okay, I found a uh, quote from Daniel Boone I don't know if this is just legend, but I heard he said this. Listen to this. Gotta find it. He said, in all his traveling, right, he spent so much time traveling as a frontiersman, a pioneer, a settler. He said, I can't say as I was ever lost, but I was bewildered once for three days. And I wonder if this poem might be Manning trying to imagine what those three days could have been like? The lost days? No, not lost, just bewildered.
I wonder if Daniel Boone really writes about seeing a vision like this or if how much of that is Manning's imagination. I know this is supposed to be a poetry podcast and not a sermon podcast. I'm also not ordained or qualified. But let me read this scripture to you. This feels like, as I said, like a resurrection poem, a conversion poem, and the image of being born again in birth, obviously, don't have to go to Sunday school that many years to get that one, um, but mixed together with the being buried in the dark and how he compares himself to a seed makes me think so much of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and what he writes about resurrection the resurrection body. He says, Paul writes this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Right? You don't plant wheat, you plant the seed. But God gives it a body as he determined and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. Here, here we go. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Okay, well, it's not very nice of Paul to call me a fool for having questions about how all this is going to work, but... I think what he's getting at is that we have a hard time with this idea of death being necessary for life. It's easy to think naturally, we live, 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 and then die. The Bible tells us this weird thing about death needing to happen before life or in order for life to get real. It seems like Daniel Boone's talking about that. It makes me want to know more about, again, if he had some sort of experience like this. He talks about being dark down and the good things spiritually happening from that. Okay. There's age and ancientness and time and hurt and loss all mentioned, but all of those things are working some sort of purifying work in the speaker. I love the part that says old hurts absorbed into his soul. His loss is like a spring in his breast. A spring is a life-giving, pure, clean thing. And the thought of a man aging and getting older and those hurts and losses becoming something as clean as a spring, a flowing a flowing and an outflowing of, that other people can drink from. It's so beautiful. It's subtle. 
here, but it's beautiful. But the repetitions add up, so maybe it's not so subtle. I think he wants us to get this. This was dark and deep, lonely, sore, and full of loss. And then he was born again. Oh my goodness, I still have another one to get to. So let me read this and then move on. Here's Born Again by Morris Manning. The darkest place I've ever been did not require a name. It seemed to be a gathering place for the lint of the world, the bottom of a hollow between two ridges, sunk like a stone. The water was surely old, the dregs of some ancient sea, but purified by time, like a man made better by his years, his old hurts absorbed into his soul, his losses like a spring in his breast. That deep baptismal trough, my head immersed in a blacksmith's forge, my eyes reflecting firefly flicker. Oh, nameless beauty below the stars. Oh, figure of a man descending. I saw myself, an object of decay, no speech, no sleep, a speck. A weightless scene stuck in the eye of ancient order. Mind you, not a vision of the netherworld or even death. I was like a seed. A vision of a man who had fallen into a second womb. The cliffs high above me stretching like taut thighs of a woman giving birth. Well, women and birth are a good segue to the next poem. It's called A Wife's Tale, and this one is about Daniel Boone's wife. Do you ever wonder about the wives of these famous rough-and-tumble settling men and the families they dragged along with them? Rebecca Boone had ten children. And she, her children had children so young, she ended up adopting six of her grandchildren when one of her children died, I believe. Or maybe it was six of her brother's children. Anyway, this woman, healthy and hearty and beautiful and strong, and she spent most of that on um, the beautiful work of raising other human beings, her own and others. She did lose many of her children in childhood. Um, but also had many surrounding her all the days of her life. And she lived a long time. She lived well into her 70s. And we're talking around the year, oh, I bet she died in the 18, maybe 1830s or something like that. So that's a pretty good lifespan for a woman who's been through what she had. I'm going to read this. A Wife's Tale by Morris Manning. Rebecca's life was one of several questions, one after another, answered insufficiently. Why do men become good at their cold brutality? How do women bring ten children into the world? Why are maple leaves so evenly pointed? Such questions took too long to answer, and after a while she grew content with the questions alone. Where is Fallen Timbers? Is the milk cow running dry again? 
is the butter in the spring house set? What kind of grave befits a child? Are these rivers tinged with blood? Am I a chicken? Like a girl's first prayer, in which she sees God as a silver glass, all reflection and light, behind her a steady stream of answer. But she went on, a cedar bucket in her hand, her husband dragging through the woods like a boy, her kettle on the fire, the look of wonder on her face. I wish I could know this woman. This is, again, I wonder what the seed of this in history was. Oh, I feel a Daniel and Rebecca Boone research project coming on. That's just what I need. Some gratuitous um, history research to do. But this idea of her as a questioner, it's just brilliant. I love it. It makes me love her. I understand that. I feel like I could I could write the story of my life in a series of questions. First, she's waiting for answers. And then she grows content with the questions alone. But then also the questions grow more serious. She the butter and the milk are probably a life and death wondering about the state of those the food for her family living in the middle of nowhere in the kentucky woods and mountains she's lost childs childs children there's blood pouring in the violence of the area if not into the river am i a chicken that's cute i don't think she's a chicken this woman seems like no chicken. I like the little callbacks to her childhood, the comparison to young Rebecca and her first prayer and her first questions, and then the maturing as she goes on. And it's interesting, the depiction of God as all light and a steady stream of answer behind her. But she's not waiting for answers by the end. She's just asking the question and doing what she has to do, and the look of wonder on her face. Is that what you pictured being on the face of a woman with 10 to 16 children and loss and a rustic life like this? It seems like it got her through. My family likes to watch this um, show on the History Channel called Alone. It's an extreme survival show where people are out trying to see who can endure, endure the longest alone in a very rough and in, inhospitable situation. It's so interesting to see the different personality aspects and tendencies of people and which ones tend to be helpful in surviving and which ones don't, which ones are signs someone, that someone isn't going to make it. But I think this sense of wonder, the people I've noticed who come out dirty and starving from their leaky cold shelter and see the beauty of what surrounds them every time and have that sense of awe and wonder, they tend to make it longer. There's also some more negative, what we think of as negative characteristics that actually turn out to be good in the show, like pure 
cussed stubbornness, a little bit of a fiery um, stubbornness never hurt when it comes to endurance. But Rebecca, as seen by Manning here, through all of this, has a look of wonder on her face. And to me, the continuing to ask questions, continuing to wonder, might be why she made it to almost 80 years. You can live on that, as well as having God behind you. Steady stream of light and certainty. Even if you don't hear certain answers. He's there behind her in this poem. I'm going to read it one more time and end the episode. So I hope you've enjoyed this little trip into time with Daniel Boone and his wife. This one's A Wife's Tale by Morris Manning. Rebecca's life was one of several questions, one after another, answered insufficiently. Why do men become good at their cold brutality? How do women bring ten children into the world? Why are maple leaves so evenly pointed? Such questions took too long to answer, and after a while she grew content with the questions alone. Where is fallen timbers? Is the milk cow running dry again? Is the butter in the spring house set? What kind of grave befits a child? Are these rivers tinged with blood? Am I a chicken? Like a girl's first prayer, in which she sees God as a silver glass, all reflection and light, behind her a steady stream of answer. But she went on, a cedar bucket in her hand, her husband dragging through the woods like a boy, her kettle on the fire, the look of wonder on her face. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.